Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Tim Leonard here. Tim has been recalled from producing. What is the corresponding move? That would be Brendan Mortensen to Big League Seattle. Big League Seattle, Seattle. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Brendan is currently covering the team for MassonSports.com out on the West Coast. So Tim got the call up. Used another one of your options. I know. We're running out. We are. That's yeah. two, I think, this year. Right. So we really got to be careful here in June that we don't, you know, send you back and forth too often. Well, plus there was the draft podcast last week. There but was. I guess that's maybe like it was a double header for the team. Yes. And I was called up to the big league you were roster. The 27th yes. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. well, that was our second podcast of the week. So exactly. second game, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad to have you here, Tim. <laughs> Good uh, to be here. The, the corresponding move was well worth it there. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here on the podcast. I thought I was going to maybe try to go with the mustache today, Tim. I had gotten it going for a few days. I had shaved the beard part, and mm-hmm. I just you know looked in the mirror this morning and thought, could I pull this off? And I just want to say you're welcome to the viewers <laughs> for not attempting that. And shaving the mustache because it, it's been going around the Orioles clubhouse. The Top Gun, yes, uh, Miles Teller look. I think Miles Teller started it, and yeah. Adley Rutschman is just carrying it on yes. and giving it extra legs. Maybe potentially is what we're getting here. Yeah. Because I'm beginning to wonder: Does it have a superpower? This mustache <laughs> that Adley Rutschman is—he's hitting the cover off the ball with the thing. It's yeah. awesome to see. It is. Can you grow the mustache? Now? I can't, and yeah. I will never try. But <laughs> well, hey, make the attempt. Maybe if the Orioles keep winning, I'll be forced to. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it's working for them. So I haven't seen Top Gun. You have. So yes. I'm still behind on that. But I told you. I would go with you, yeah. and I would see it again. It was that good, the I'm thing, sure. The thing about these West Coast games is that they don't start till 10 o'clock, so you've got this weird time period between, <laughs> like, 4 and 7 where you're like, I just don't know what to do with myself. Right. So, you know, maybe that's when we go see Top Gun. Maybe. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about how the Orioles are turning into one of the more exciting and one of the better, hotter teams in the American League, unbelievably right now. Uh, And we're also going to talk about the promotions of three Orioles' top prospects, the three Cs, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, and Kobe Mayo. But first and foremost, Brendan, or Brendan, my goodness. Oh, no. This is old (laughs) habits die hard. First and foremost, Tim, while Brendan was out in the West Coast, what a game last night, five homers, uh, Tyler Wells pitching some of the best we've seen from a starting pitcher this year. Just an incredible game. Yeah, it's amazing because Tyler Wells going into the fifth inning with a perfect game maybe doesn't even make the front page of the storylines from yesterday. Like, Cedric Mullins has two amazing catches, and you can't really get to that without mentioning Adley Rutschman homers in front of his grandfather and family and friends. You also had... Five homers total in the game, including two separate times. The Orioles went back-to-back homers in back-to-back innings, which was pretty amazing. So, vibes are high right now in Birdland. It's awesome. First winning month since August of 2017 is officially clinched, which is great to see. So, on May 18th, this Orioles team lost their sixth game in a row. A 3-2 loss to Garrett Cole and the Yankees. Mm -hmm. Since that day... They're 21-16 and, and haven't lost more than two games in a row. 
Wow. They're playing more, like one of the better teams in the American League over the past month. I know that's an arbitrary cutoff date, May 19th, but it's still deserving of praise because of how far the Orioles have come over the last several years. Yeah, and I was thinking about that. That first weekend was Adley debut weekend. There were three walk-offs in four days. This stretch here has almost been just as good yeah. in a weird way. When you date back to Wednesday, Austin Hayes hits for the cycle. You know, the whole Chicago series was fun things. Even yeah. in the game they lost on Sunday, the one loss in the last six games, Cedric Mullins makes an absurd catch in center field in that game. Yeah. and He made two last night. Yeah, too. which is, it's hard to keep track. Austin Hayes had a bases-clearing double in one of these games. Dean Kramer looked great. There's so many little things that are going right for the Orioles that from Wednesday on, it's felt like every game has been action-packed. The 4-3 loss on Sunday is the only loss, but they had a little bit of a rally in the ninth inning there and made it a fun game to watch still. And when you were when they were in Chicago and you compare that White Sox team, who had roughly the same record, yeah. to that Orioles team, you could not talk about two fan bases on opposite ends of the spectrum. More apart in terms of positivity around this team because the White Sox fans came into the year a much higher payroll, a much more star-studded roster, and championship aspirations. And to see the Orioles punching above their weight class to the point where they are taking three of four from Chicago and soundly beating a White Sox team that legitimately was expecting to be one of the American League's better teams, that's just not a position the Orioles have been used to being in really since 2017. Yeah, and even the Mariners, right? Yeah. They have a better record than the Mariners now. The Mariners were a team that going into this year added in the offseason, almost made the playoffs last year, had... Much higher hopes than the Orioles, for sure. They signed a Cy Young winner. Yeah, exactly. So, it's amazing because if you would have told me at the start of the season, we'd be going into July, Orioles would be five games below 500. I'd be like, wow, that's incredible. Does that mean that John Means is having a great yeah. year? Does that mean that Cedric Mullins is... And Cedric has been hitting the ball much better of late. And it seems like he's getting back to his old self. But yeah. it's not like he's on pace for another 30-30 season. He was the lone all-star from last year's team. Yep. And they're still five games below five hundred, despite Bruce Zimmerman's down in AAA after a good start. Kyle Bradish is on... The IL, all the, so it, all these things aren't really going their way, but I think it speaks to how well the coaching staff is kind of building a culture here and building an infrastructure that hopefully will last. Yeah, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think, the fact that you're seeing all this stuff without seeing some of the heavy hitters yet to come, without Grayson Rodriguez having made his debut, without D.L. Hall having made his debut, and you still have some of your top prospects that we're going to talk about who are still waiting in the minor leagues plus the number one overall pick. So it shows that the, this coaching staff is developing the guys that they already have in-house. And to see all these guys have breakout seasons, like the kind of season that Hayes is having, I mean, Hayes must have heard the podcast and heard us say that there wasn't a high chance that he was going to make the All-Star game because he's playing All-Star caliber baseball. Yeah. Since that podcast, he went and hit for the cycle, and he's been making unbelievable plays in the outfield. So he's having, again, another all-time heater like he did at the beginning of the season. Right, and when I did my whole breakdown of the last six games starting from Wednesday, I failed to mention that he had an absurd catch as well. Yeah. I think it was maybe the Thursday or the Friday game after having an outfield assist in that specific game. Yeah. So he's had several of those recently. It feels like at this point he is firmly on the bubble of the all-star voting in, in the outfield because yeah. we know that there's a couple locks in the outfield and 
then it kind of gets to that next tier of could he be a reserve with the likes of Buxton and Stan and some of those other guys. He unfortunately did fall out of the top 20 for voting in the American League. Whoever is going to make it to this All-Star game is not going to make it via the vote. Yeah. It's going to have to be they add him to the roster to be, and it's going to be, I, we still think at this point, Jorge Lopez keeps lowering his ERA. Uh, so that he's still probably the most likely uh, outcome there. But you mentioned Adley too. <laughs> I mean, everybody who thought Adley should have been sent, and I say everybody, it was a small but very vocal group, I would say, on Twitter that thought that Adley Rutschman should have been sent back down to AAA Norfolk during his struggles of the first 10 games. The guy is now an above-average hitter. He had a home run last night. He seems like he hits a double in just about every game. Yeah. Plus adding incredible defense behind the plate. So he is right back to where we thought he would be. It's amazing how quickly his numbers have kind of gotten to the point where it's like, whoa, hitting right around 226 going into last night. And this is really strong strides from him. Also, just the fact that he hits the home run yesterday in Seattle in front of family and friends. Yep. It's like the most Adley Rutschman thing ever, right? Because he just checks those boxes. It seems like he would show off in front of the family, and that was after he already started the game with an RBI single to kind of start the Orioles on a good footing going into last night. Yeah, exciting stuff. Just just great. Great vibes, like you said, Tim. The vibes are immaculate right now in Birdland. Uh, let's switch over to the minor league side. And let's talk about those three C's. Colton Kowser, Kobe Mayo, and Connor Norby. In that order, uh, those three together promoted from high single-A Aberdeen to double-A Bowie. Three guys that uh, two of them were in this part of the same draft class, the 2021 draft class. Colton Kowser and Connor Norby were first and second round picks. And Kobe Mayo was a fourth round pick, a high school bat coming out in 2020. And the Orioles tend to do this. Yeah. They move guys in blocks. We saw it with Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. They promoted them together from Bowie to Norfolk. We saw it with this similar group last year with Kowser and Norby and pretty much that whole draft class. Mayo was part of that. You had John Rhodes. You had Jacob Teeter. Just about 16 or 17 guys moved from the Florida Gulf Coast League up to low single A Delmarva at the time. The Orioles like to do this. They like to move guys Together, what do you before we even get into that? What do you make of that, and do you think that's a good thing? I think it's kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of cool to see the guys get to the next step together, and then they maybe have some sort of attachment amongst one another. It's sort of fun as a fan to follow from afar and know, okay, like maybe this means they're gonna go together from double A to triple A as well. Yeah, it also feels like they're not gonna do it to the point that one guy's not ready to make a jump, and they still say, hey, you know, we're going to group you together. I think the one guy that you can make a case out of this group is maybe Norby, based on his numbers, is maybe he was lagging behind the others a little bit statistically, but it still was to the point that he had a great season at low A last year. He was still hitting a little bit better of late, and he's an advanced hitter that once you get him up to double A, like we saw with Westberg when he went from double A to triple A, maybe the numbers spike. Yeah, and it it is interesting to see the age difference here because Westberg and Henderson, Gunner is 20, Jordan Westberg's 22, 23, and it's a similar case here. Colton Kowser and Connor Norby are 22, Kobe Mayo's 20, but Kobe Mayo and Gunner Henderson both hitters who are well advanced for their age, more advanced than they should be, honestly, for being both of these guys being 20 years old. So it's interesting to see 
the young guys kind of being brought along with the older guys so that they have somebody to lean on and it's not just Gunnar Henderson thrown into AAA by himself. Good luck, kid. It's Gunnar Henderson has Jordan Westberg to lean on. Kobe Mayo is promoted with Colton Kowser and with Connor Norby, so he has those older guys to kind of help him along. And maybe it helps build culture and camaraderie between those guys and just friendship, too, which it it couldn't hurt, I would say, that they're all kind of going through the steps and the phases together. I think at a certain point, you know, when they're going from AAA to the major leagues, they'll probably not be in groups, obviously, and they'll probably lean towards the older guys at that point. But I think for right now, it's kind of a cool thing to see them doing it this way. Yeah, because you have that roster flexibility in the minor leagues. You can you can make you know you can rearrange the the seats there and make sure that there's room for two or three guys that you're moving up together. And we'll talk about where the room is in Double A Bowie because things are going to get a little tight in yeah. terms of roster crunching. But it's still much easier than if you were trying to move two or three guys together to the big league roster. You just wouldn't do something like that uh, unless two or three spots opened up at the same time. Um, let's start with Colton Kowser, 22 years old, Orioles number four prospect, according to MLB pipeline. He was hitting 258, impressive OBP, 385, only four homers, 795 OPS in 62 games. Didn't start off the year particularly strong. And for somebody who hit the absolute cover off the ball in a tiny sample size in low single A Delmarva at the end of 2021, I think some Orioles fans came into this season thinking this guy was hitting well above 350. He was hitting in the 370s at Sam Houston State. He was hitting 350 in a month in Delmarva. This guy should be hitting 320 with high single A Aberdeen, and it just didn't work that way. However, over the past month or so, he has been making better contact. He's been driving the ball over the, the fence a whole lot more. He's got three homers and an 861 OPS in his last 33 games. So, Tim, he is starting to get his feet back under him. And I think the Orioles were confident, given the last month, that he would be ready for the jump. Yeah, actually, his stats are pretty impressive considering the way he started the season. I'd say he's definitely trending towards being ready for a promotion lately. The average of 258, maybe you'd like to see it a little bit higher when you factor in what he was billed to be and the type of player that we expected him to be. The other thing that's a little bit concerning is the strikeout rate is a lot higher this year than it was in low A last year. Remember, that was all the craze last year was the fact that he walked more than he struck out in low A. Now he moves up to high A. His strikeout rate's right around 28%. The good news is the walk rate is still 16.4% at high A, which is an excellent walk rate. His OBP is still 385, so... He still is showing good plate discipline. He's just swinging and missing a little bit more, and the average is maybe a little bit lower than you'd think, but I feel like the fact that he's gotten the average to this point after a slow start speaks to the fact that it's going to just continue to rise. Yeah, and the Orioles did this last year with Gunnar Henderson where they promoted Gunnar Henderson to high single-A Aberdeen, and when they promoted him to double-A Bowie at the end of the season, his average was not particularly high when you looked at his season as a whole, he had like 65 games in high single A Aberdeen. He was hitting only 231 in those 65 games. But the last month, he had a 1.137 OPS in his final 27 games. So they saw something that they liked over the final stretch. So when you take the numbers as a whole, like you said, it's impressive that he got his average up to 258, but it's still not a ridiculously high number. But it's a whole lot better when you take it in context and say, He's been hitting so much better over the last month. Clearly, he's figured something out, and he's ready for the jump, even though 231 for Gunner and 258 for Kowser 
don't jump off the page. Yeah, and four homers total maybe doesn't jump off the page, but like you said, three of them have come in the past 30 or so games. Yeah. So it's trending in the right direction in terms of power. He's never going to be someone, I don't think, that's going to hit more than 20, 25 homers max yeah. at the major league level when he's in his prime. But it's the strikeout rate that you'd like to see maybe go down a little bit as he continues to progress and just working on improving on his plate discipline and everything because that's what he was billed to be. He's checking those boxes so far. I think 258, if that's an off season at any level, that's a pretty good season, right? Especially when you couple it with an on-base percentage of 385. So the Orioles drafted him as a center fielder. Michael Elias made it pretty clear he wants to keep him in center field as soon as he was drafted. And they've done that so far. They've played him in center field for 41 games so far in the high single-A Aberdeen uh, and has barely played in the corner outfield, so they intend to keep him there. He also has the speed. He had 12 stolen bases, which is something that I was more impressed about because I was not particularly Yeah, that jumped off the page to me, too. Yeah, Yeah. He was billed as a five-tool guy, and that's what Elias said when he was drafted, but speed was never his calling card, but it's a nice tool to have in his bag. So the Orioles have kept him in center field. Right now in double-A Bowie, they have Hudson Haskin and Zach Watson in center field. Both of those guys were high Elias draft picks. Haskin has taken a jump. Watson has not. Watson has taken a step back. He's been a pretty big disappointment so far. He's hitting 192 with a 537 OPS in 50 games in Bowie. He also just turned 25, so he's on the older side. He was a 2019 draft pick. Hudson Haskin, though, is hitting 256 with a 773 OPS. Could we maybe see Hudson Haskin as a domino, as a result of this, mm. get the call up to AAA Norfolk at some point soon to help open up a spot in center for Colton Kowser? I wouldn't be surprised by that because his numbers are, if anything, under the radar good to this point in the season. And you mentioned 41 games in center. I think he's played a handful of games in left, like very few. It's been mostly center, at least at high A, for Colton Kowser. I would imagine they want to make him a priority and make his position of importance. Like they want him to be at the position that they want him to be at when he gets to the major leagues. He's a top five prospect in the organization, no matter where you look right now. So I'd say that if he was playing in center and that's their focal point, they're going to try and make it happen for him to play a majority of his starts in center field. And maybe it is by moving up Haskin. I think that would be an appropriate move and it would free up some space for Kowser and really just the rest of these guys that are getting elevated as well. Yeah, Haskin is 23 at this point. And like I said, the numbers are are good enough for him to be able to do that. So if they want to do it, it's not like they did it at the exact same time. So they still have time to do that. But his priority, definitely Kowser's priority, is much higher than it is for, you know, for Zach Watson and even for Hudson Haskin, who's a little bit further down the yeah. list. But I could still see them working out some rotation while Haskin is still there of Haskin and Kowser in center. We saw a couple of years ago Kyle Stowers get a good amount of games in center in the lower levels. And then once he started to work his way up to Bowie and to Norfolk, they moved him more to a corner. And he still can play center in theory, but maybe they will do something similar. However, I do think Colton Kowser on paper is a better pure center fielder than Kyle Stowers is. Yeah, we'll probably see him some in the corner outfield spots. Maybe he'll DH occasionally, but I think most of the time it'll be in center field for Kowser. And just one other note kind of on, generally speaking, these three guys being elevated together. Now you've got 
16 of your top 17 prospects that are all at double A or higher. The only one, of course, is Heston Kerstad, who is delayed for obvious reasons and is also hitting the cover off the ball as well and could be on his way to bigger and better things soon. So it's pretty awesome that you couple that with the fact that the number one overall pick is coming. They've got four draft picks in the first day of the MLB draft or the first night of the MLB draft, which is coming in July here. So good times all around. The fact that there's that much depth in the organization, but also they're already progressing how they should be and they're already moving up levels very quickly. Definitely. So the next guy I want to touch on in terms of uh, these three, Kobe Mayo, Orioles' number seven prospect, somebody who his stock rose incredibly fast during the 2021 season, and another guy who I think fans maybe expected a bit too much of, and, you know, it's understandable considering how ridiculously good he was in low single-A Delmarva last year, and I think people were kind of expecting him to hit the ground running, hit 300, and hit 15 bombs in his first, you know, month or two of uh, high single-A Aberdeen, but he was still moving up a level. So it's it's unfair to expect him to be that good against a higher level than he was against the lower levels. And sometimes when we see guys like Gunnar Henderson be incredible, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it kind of warps our perspective. But he's still having a pretty good season, hitting 250, 13 homers with an 805 OPS, and another guy who is warming up, 861 OPS over his last 31 games. Yeah, he's also hasn't even turned 21 yet, so he can't even <laughs> legally drink at this point. I think it speaks to the fact that he's progressing at a rate that we wouldn't even have thought he would get to this rate this quickly. So it's exciting because the power is still there with Mayo, and the upside is still there when you look at his numbers. Just the 13 homers that you brought up, most homers in the Orioles' farm system right now is Westberg 14 and then a tie between Mayo and Stowers with 13 each. So mm-hmm. he's still hitting the ball over the fence when he gets a hold of it. I think his next step is going to be less swing and miss. The strikeout rate actually hasn't been that bad. It's right around 22%. And then also just getting that average up a little bit as well. Yeah, and somebody who the Orioles, again, drafted as a third baseman. They made it clear he was going to be a third baseman. And they've stuck to that. He's only played third base or DH'd. So there were some people on the outside, I remember, before the season. Yeah. Fangraphs, I think, had him lifted as a left fielder or right fielder. And there are some people on the outside that say, well, he's he's a big guy, probably going to outgrow the position, maybe play a corner outfield. The Orioles are keeping him at third base for as long as they possibly can. And it's probably the good thing for his development. If he, again, if he grows out of that position, if he shows he cannot play the position defensively, they'll move him. But it's so much better to have him train at third base now in order to make sure that, just just make sure that that door is not entirely closed. And so far, they seem comfortable with the kind of defense they've gotten from him. Yeah, he's looked pretty good. And it's interesting because he is 6'5", about 220, 215. He's a big dude. Yeah. And that's where the power comes from and all the upside comes from for him. But the fact that if he stayed at third base, I think you bring up a good point. If he's learning third base now, at least it's easier to then maybe be used at third base in the major league level as well because first base, corner outfield, some of these other positions that scouts thought he would fall into, a little bit easier to pick up when you're not doing it frequently. Third base is a much tougher position to learn. So I kind of like how the Orioles have handled this. Maybe we will see him, depending on kind of how the roster shakes out here, maybe we'll see him in the corner outfield some. It wouldn't shock me 
at Double A Bowie, but at this point, they've maintained their philosophy when they drafted him, which is we want him at third base. He's got an exceptional arm, and I think the really only the concern is the fact that history suggests that he's a little bit too big to be a third baseman. There's yeah. only a handful of major leaguers that have been very durable and been that big at the third base uh, position as their primary position. But overall, I think it's smart of the Orioles to use him right now at third base and improve his third base skills versus just sticking him at first base, left field, something like that, and improving those skills. So speaking of the roster construction and where he could fit in, it would be nice... It, you would think if you just moved him up by himself, there's a neat little hole for him at third base with double-A Bowie because they have Cesar Prieto at second base and they have Joey Ortiz at shortstop. They don't really have an everyday third baseman right now. He would fit right in as their everyday third baseman if it weren't for the next guy, Connor Norby, yeah, who complicates things a little bit. So Norby right now, Orioles number 10 prospect. His defensive positions primarily, he was drafted more as a second baseman, um, but he played 40 games at second, just five innings in left, and two innings at shortstop. He is pretty much exclusively a second baseman. So you add him to the mix where he is going to be your second baseman. Now you have Cesar Prieto, who you want to give a lot of time to as well. Yeah. Somebody that they recently signed out of Cuba, an international signee who is a little bit older, 22, 23, who also is a second baseman, third baseman, and you have another logjam. And Kyle Moore, who's the manager there, started out the season with a log jam in the infield between Jordan Westbrook and Gunnar Henderson. He freed himself of that <laughs> by both those guys being promoted. And now he's stuck with another log jam between Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, and Cesar Prieto and uh, Kobe Mayo. Yeah, again, it's good problems to have, right? Yeah. It's it's the thing we've been saying all year long on this podcast. When these problems are arising, it's overall good problems to have. It does feel like maybe given that there is a logjam, we'll see him play other positions outside of third base occasionally because, as you said, he was only playing third base before. Now maybe we will see him some at first base or a corner outfield spot. But I think in general, you can mix and match Norby and Mayo and try to make the most of maybe getting one of them a start at third base each and every night because they are the priority given... How high their prospect rankings are. So I think it's a challenge to an extent trying to figure out where this all unfolds, but a good problem to have. And Joey Ortiz, unfortunately, has kind of put himself on the outside of this conversation looking in. A 611 OPS so far, which isn't ridiculously low, but that's not what you wanted to see from a guy who needed to prove that he has the bat to go along with the defense. We know the defense is going to be quality for Joey Ortiz. He's really the only true shortstop of this group. So he can play a lot of games there at shortstop, but if he's not swinging the bat particularly well, maybe the Orioles give Cesar Prieto a few more games at shortstop and put Joey Ortiz back on the bench there. Yeah, and I wonder, it would be very quick, but how soon will we see Prieto jump up to AAA maybe, given the numbers that he's had? I know he started the year lower than this, and he's already made a couple, he's made one jump already this season, but... It feels like he's a guy that if you elevated him and if he continues to hit, he might warrant that, then it will free up some space as well. Again, and then you're talking about AAA <laughs> That's true, <jam>. yeah. Because <laughs> you're talking about 
Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson playing shortstop and third base. Jemai Jones, unfortunately, no longer in the organization, but that opens up a spot at second base. You have Mm -hmm. Ryland Bannon right now at AAA, so all kinds of log jams coming forth as these guys continue to push their way up. We saw this coming a couple months ago. We said that this is going to get, if these guys play up to their potential, this is going to get tight real quick. Uh, But they're they're going to have to figure it out, and they're and like you said, the priority is these three guys: Kobe Mayo, Colton Kazer, Connor Norby. Above and, and Cesar Prieto, you can add to that conversation. Right now, above a Joey Ortiz, Ortiz yeah, um, and uh, certainly above a Zach Watson. You know those type of guys. These guys are more important that you give every day at bats to at the right positions there. So Connor Norby, though, to to go back to what he brings to the table: two thirty seven average. The lowest average of the three, eight homers, and a 736 OPS, also the lowest OPS of these three guys in 48 games. What's discouraging for me is to see only 18 walks and 50 strikeouts. That plate discipline does need to improve, and it's hard to improve it when you're going up to a higher level. Yeah, he had 21 walks, 28 strikeouts last season in low A, and now he's played about double the games, and you said 18 and 50. That's a little bit concerning. I think he's the one that had a pretty sizable slump at the beginning of the season and has still been slumping a little bit of late. When you look at his numbers just specifically in the last month, his OPS in the last month is 671. His OPS for the season is 736, like you mentioned. So he hasn't been hitting or trending upwards like the other two guys that were promoted here. But it's not like the numbers are terrible. I mean, he's still producing. He's still hitting for power occasionally. He's still hitting the ball hard when he hits it. And he's a guy that has hit really at every level before this. That was his proven tool going into the draft and everything. So maybe it'll be like Jordan Westberg when he got elevated and we see his numbers spike when he gets a change of scenery. Yeah, that is the hope there. Like you said at the top of the podcast, he of the three was the one that you maybe would expect the Orioles to be a little bit more patient with. But 22 years old, same age as Colton Cowser, and at some point he's got to figure it out. So that's the hope there. Yeah, that, you know, it, it brings out the most in him. But again, hard to improve your stats when you're going up to a higher level of competition. So those are the three guys that got promoted. There's still a couple other guys down in high single A Aberdeen that could be knocking on the door. I think of John Rhodes as yeah. one guy who we talked to near the beginning of the season. He suffered a wrist injury that knocked him out for a sizable amount of time. But boy, was he hitting the ball well before that wrist injury. Another college guy from Kentucky. Uh, he right now is an 874 OPS in just 35 games. So again, small sample size because of the time that he's missed. But another guy, corner outfielder, if a spot opens up in Bowie, I could see John Rhodes, who is a top 30 prospect right now, getting the call soon. Yeah, I would think he would probably be the next guy, the most logical guy to get elevated there. And of course, he's Colton Kowser's roommate. You had a funny conversation with him, so maybe they'll bring him up soon. I think he's his numbers have really been excellent since he's come back from that injury. They were surprising how good they were. So I see him probably being that next guy. And again, it's just sort of like you start the domino effect. Once one guy gets elevated, then you have to have a conversation about, all right, who can get elevated from double-A to triple-A, and what does that mean for Westberg and Henderson and how they fit into the puzzle if a Prieto comes up, that type of stuff. But I think they are in a position now where it feels like a lot of these prospects are hitting well. Maybe you'd like to see a little bit more from Norby average-wise, but yeah. 
I'm not overly worried right now considering how good of a hitter he was at the college level and considering how well he hit the ball in low A. It's not like it's been a full season where he slumped. It's just been the start of the season here, and he hasn't hit great the past couple weeks or so, but with a change of scenery, maybe that's what he needs. So double-A Bowie is pretty darn close to the big leagues, and to be promoted on June 27th leaves the door open in theory for a Colton Cows or a Connor Norby or Kobe Mayo to get called up to the big leagues by season's end. However, Tim, I think we're on the same page here that we don't see it happening until 2023. It would be be surprising to me. I mean, they would need to really continue to hit the ball great and even better than they have been hitting it at high A. So it could happen. I would say it's a very slim chance that you would see. Maybe Kowser, I think, would be the first of the group to get the call to the big leagues, just given his age and he was the fifth overall pick and his advanced uh, advanced approach at the plate as well. Feels like he was a guy that when the Orioles drafted him, they knew that maybe he could get to the big leagues rather quickly as a college bat, and that was some of the appeal for him. So wouldn't shock me if he gets there next year, definitely, and and even maybe early next year at this rate, the way he's hitting the baseball. But I don't really see this year happening. The way the Orioles have taken these guys, they haven't promoted anybody really from double A to the big leagues. They're giving everybody time in each specific level. And in theory, if somebody's ready, they could move him up. But considering the fact that Kowser, Kowser at this point would have to hit 350. Yeah. <laughs> and they would still probably give him a look at Norfolk before they would call him up. So, right. The, and then how much time do you give him at Norfolk? So I think best case scenario, let's say he hits the best he's ever hit in his career in Bowie, and they give him a shot at Norfolk by season's end and he hits great there, maybe you could, and he's great in spring training, maybe he could be an opening day guy, but still it feels a little bit like pushing it, just considering, just given what we've seen from this Orioles front office and how patient they are. And there's no reason to rush it, right? I mean, they're playing good baseball right now. We're very excited about the culture and the way things are trending, but at the same time, they're probably not going to be in the playoff mix come October time period, so... Why force a guy up? Why maybe rush him up? Maybe it's just better if he kind of has another offseason. And it feels like the conversation we should be having more is how quickly will they get to AAA? Could they get to AAA by the end of the season? Which I think is realistic if they continue to, these three guys continue to hit the way they are and probably would have to improve their hitting, if anything, numbers-wise. But by the end of the season would be kind of a cool goal for them at this point, maybe in that September time period. I could see it maybe late August if everything goes to plan, maybe beginning of September. Like, similar to what we saw the Orioles do last year from, again, keep mentioning Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg. They got the call up very late in the season and were able to get their feet wet in Bowie then had a full off season to evaluate the tape that they put together and really think about the things that they could improve upon. And then they came out and, and hit the ball incredibly well in Bowie to start the 2022 season. So I could see that happening with the Orioles as well. Yeah, and it's not like when this news came out yesterday that these three guys are getting elevated. We were like, oh, finally, they, they yeah. need to be. It's not like they're you know way behind schedule or something. So there's no reason to rush them. I think the timetable that the Orioles are operating on here is really perfect. They're elevating these guys when I think they are ready to be elevated, but they're also not rushing them, and they're not holding them back, too. They're 
walking that fine line, which is tough to walk. Absolutely. Well, Tim, you were doing a great job on draft coverage <laughs> as well. You had a draft podcast that came out on our feed a couple days ago. You have another one coming up this week. Mm-hmm. And then probably one or two more before the actual MLB draft starts, which it does, what, two weeks from this coming Sunday? Yes, it's amazing. Brendan brought it up on our draft podcast, but usually it feels like you guys were maybe diving into the draft earlier in the season. The Orioles are playing too good a baseball for us to dedicate a full podcast to the draft right now. So I guess that's why we've had the bonus episodes. And if you're into the draft, be on the lookout for some extra podcasts in in the podcast feeds in the coming weeks. At Tim underscore Leonard four is your Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much to Bobby Blanco for producing this podcast. Tim will have a draft episode for you later this week. And of course, the Mass and All Access podcast can be found on any of your favorite podcasts platform spotify soundcloud watch live with us every week on youtube and on facebook appreciate your live views and your comments and give us five stars if you have an opportunity as well as a review thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you guys soon